the music's gone. <laughs> I told you. I was dancing too, man. I was just over here. <laughs> Welcome to Sitting with Sean, episode number 33. Mike, I've been doing this for 33 episodes and it's only been like three months. I'm getting up there. I'm getting up there, man. It's, it's crazy. There, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, dude. I, I, I hit like episode 20. I was like, I'm going somewhere. Now I'm at 33. It's crazy. But uh, everybody, everybody, welcome to the show. Uh, today I have a very special guest, Mike Urban. How you doing today, Mike? Wonderful. Nice. Not a wonderful day. Wonderful day. Just, just another wild, productive day, huh? Yep. Yes, yes. Uh, so, Mike, would you like to give a formal introduction of yourself? Yeah, I don't know where to start. Uh, so I'm, I'm Mike Urban. I uh, am actually a veteran i'm also in long-term recovery i'm also a therapist so i live and breathe in the world of recovery that's awesome that's awesome yeah and uh so i i met mike uh last month no yeah last month about a month august yeah 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 i met mike uh uh the the clinic that he works with he came up here and uh to alaska and um, one of the project coordinators was like, hey, I think you'd like to meet Mike. He's a good guy. He's in recovery. He's a vet, too. And then I found out so much more about Mike. Pretty awesome, dude. It's crazy. It's crazy how certain things, and, and we're going to get to that in a second, but it's crazy how, like, we meet people. And it's like, when I, when I left that coffee shop, right, I sat and I reflected on it. And I was like, dude, we have been, like, almost on the same path. Like very, very much the same path after we talked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, I was like, what? Like, you know, obviously for anybody who's not a veteran who hasn't served, uh, the uh, the insignia behind him is the 82nd Airborne patch, and I was in the 82nd. And then, you know, the first question he asked, you know, what, what was your MOS? I said 13 Fox. He's like, me too. Where were you stationed at? And I told him he was like, I was in the 82nd. I was like, dude, shut up, no way. Like and it's crazy, and then the 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 path that we followed after our careers were over is just is is pretty crazy. It's like two people, same path, different locations. It's insane. We were meant to meet. Yeah, yeah. I believe I believe that like certain things are in our destiny, or or whatever you believe in, whatever, however you believe that, it we we're destined to meet somehow. And, uh, and, and so I think that this is pretty awesome and, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear your story. I'm super excited. Ready to go whenever you are. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into it. Let's get into it. So what was it like in your active addiction? So, you know, if I was just, if I was just start in the beginning, you know, before I even got there, if that's fine with you, it's, yeah, you know, go for because it. I think it's, it's, it's really important, uh, before I even got into active addiction, I was all my behaviors were that of an addict, right? I always always tell people my first addiction was like whatever you had. Like it didn't matter whatever the fuck it was. I hope I can mm -hmm. curse. No, you uh, can curse. Go ahead. It's uh, fine. You know, it was whatever you had I wanted, right? Like so-and-so had a pair of shoes. Like I, I didn't really know what I was going to do with them. They'd be the wrong size, but I just fucking wanted them. Right? Yeah. And uh, I, I, I always had this extremeness about me. All my friends drank and got high and we would go out and maybe they would go on the third floor balcony to jump in the pool well i'd go to the fifth or sixth floor to jump into the pool like i don't know i wasn't drunk i didn't drink so or do drugs so what was my fucking excuse right it's always like i gotta one up somebody i always gotta do better i always uh i always wanted what you had and uh was never grateful for the things that i did have right so uh I drank one time in the fourth grade. I had brother. I grew up in the city in Philly, and uh, you know I had friends that uh, when I was in the fourth grade, my friends' brothers were heroin addicts, and they thought it would be like a good idea to give a bunch of fourth graders uh, beer and weed. I remember that I, I I drank, and I woke up the next day, and I was like, that was fucking stupid. Why would anybody do that? And I didn't I didn't touch drugs and alcohol again. And, until later on in later on in my life, uh, after getting hurt in the military, I luckily had well, I had alcoholism all around me, so it was kind of a deterrent, you know. Unfortunately, yeah. later in life, 
you know, I was like, I'm not going to be an alcoholic because, Dad, you were an alcoholic. I'll be a heroin addict so I can show you, you know. Yeah. I'll be better than you. I'm not going to drink. <laughs> so, you know, my life was always, uh, my life was built around how I can get over on people, how I could do the least amount of work and get the most reward. Uh, I think I watched Goodfellas way too many times. I think I watched all those movies too much. And look, those people were around people that were not doing what they should. And that's who I gravitated to even before I drank, before I was in my active addiction. That's, that is the way that I acted. Um, not a productive member of society, not, not anything, yeah. <laughs> not anything good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I can relate to that, man. I can I can relate to, to being a one-upper. When I was in my active addiction, I definitely didn't think that I was a one-upper. I was like, you know, I, I always was like, well, everybody around me is doing this, so I'm going to do the same thing. But in reality, like looking back, I, I always tried to drink more than everybody. I always tried to do the do more dumb shit than anybody. Um and I proud I was I was extremely proud of the fact that I would do these things. You know, uh, if people were going out and they were they were drinking and having a good time, I'm like, well, you guys are having a good time. I'm about to get hammered drunk, and we're going to see where this night leads us. And that just wasn't the way to live for me. Uh, looking back now, I'm able to able to see that. Um, so, what, one one thing that that I I've noticed about you know since being a vet, a vet now and and being in recovery and stuff like that. I don't know if you noticed, but in the military, they kind of breed addiction and then punish you for being addicted. Did you notice that? Well, so, so again, my experience was, uh, well, my experience is I see exactly what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. I didn't drink. I didn't. Yeah. I, I drank maybe once or twice, not much, but why I was active duty. It was mm -hmm. not really my thing. Uh, but I would agree with you. It's very difficult now that I work with veterans. I work with active duty members. It's kind of like, you know, hey, let's see how much we can get done, get trashed at night and show up at PT in the morning. And it's rewarded until you get caught. Yeah. Uh, and then and then if you ask for help, there's something wrong with you. So it's uh, your point is, is very well taken and, and on point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've seen that too many times, you know, especially like um, you know, you go like, and I, I, I talk to some of, of my, my vet buddies about this that are in recovery. And I say any function that you go to, it, there's alcohol involved. And hey, let's go to a dining out. Like you go to a dining out, there's, there's a grog there. You're not forced to drink, but if you don't drink, people look at you sideways. And then, you know, you go to a barbecue, like a unit function, like a barbecue, and there's alcohol there. Um, and any function that you go to, it's like it, there, there's alcohol there and you're not forced to drink, but you're frowned upon if you don't. Um, and so that starts to, in, in my opinion, my view, um, it started to kind of create this outcast society in, in, you know, within units and then, and then really, um, really start you know, honing in on that addiction. And I, I've seen so many, so many men and women go into like Sudsy and, and shit like that, or into ASAP. Uh, I've been in a few times myself. I'm not proud of that, but a, it is what it is. Um, but, you know, go in there and then, you know, continue to, to, to do, um, to, to use their substance of choice while they're in there. And, and, you know, it's because there's little to no recovery basis within that program or the military whatsoever. And you hit it on the head, um, you start to get um, in trouble or, or, you know, you get looked upon, down upon if you do ask for help. And that, that I think is very counterproductive. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, since getting sober is like one of the things, the, the greatest strengths that I have is being able to ask for help. Right. And, and regardless of its help with mental health, even in my job, I've found that when I don't know something, if I just fucking ask somebody, they usually have the answer and I don't look like an idiot and the task gets done a lot faster. And, yeah. you know, the military is quite the opposite of, you know, you ask for help. Hey, I'm struggling with this. And it's automatically like, you're a pussy. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly you know uh and, and that that's that's rough because you know my in my career i i worked hard at being the best that i could be you know uh being the best leader i could be being the best fister i could be uh because that was my job and people depended on that uh but when i got hurt i tore my meniscus in like 2014 and i couldn't run um and i went and i said hey look there's a, there's a fucking problem i got i got x-rays uh mris everything i took it to my platoon sergeant and i i showed him i said hey look like I'm fucked up, dude. And then from that moment forward, I got I had a label put on me, and and I was like, well, that's kind of shitty. It's kind of shitty because I'm broke and I can't do I, I can't effectively operate as as a soldier, you know, with an injury, and I I need to get taken care of so I can get back to operational status. And now I'm being looked upon as a piece of shit because I am getting fixed, and that's terrible. Yeah, there's not a. There's not a lot of sympathy, and I don't know whether there needs to be or not. You know, that's the, yeah. it, that is the, the way it is, and it's um, they invest a lot of money and time in training us, and it's, you know, I don't know, I think it would be longevity-wise, invest some time in maintaining us, and that means taking care of the taking care of the issues that come up, which a lot of them are mental issues, and, and yeah. realistically, those mental issues lead to physical issues. Absolutely. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. So, uh, so what led your departure uh, out of the army? So, you know, I know when we were talking, it was uh, I was on a jump in uh, 2002, and just something with the way that I exited the aircraft, I kind of got hung up there and uh, hit the side of the aircraft. And this is the the suspicion the doctors have. <laughs> was that that caused uh, my lungs, my lung to collapse later on, you know, so what had happened was I kept having collapsed lungs from that. And they basically, I ended up in the hospital for, I was in and out of the hospital for like seven, eight months. And I would spend a month at a time. And all they could do is they put a chest tube in and keep me pumped full of Dilaudid and whatever else. I mean, I was retarded, but like uh, the amount of meds they gave me. So eventually, uh, prior to that, I got put on corporal recruiting. I got put in corporal recruiting after that. Uh, and then I went home and my lungs kept collapsing. That was kind of the, let me say this, they were probably trying to take care of me because it kept happening, knew I wanted to stay in. I was a good soldier. I didn't have any problems. Um, but once I got back on corporal recruiting for a year, the thought was like, hey, go home, heal up, you know, take care of yourself. My lungs kept collapsing and they eventually had to remove uh, the top lobe on my right side. And then I developed atrial fibrillation from having so many times uh, my chest being open. So if anyone's not familiar, AFib is essentially the top part of your heart does not beat in rhythm with the bottom of your heart. So your heartbeat shows at like 120 beats a minute when you're just sitting there. And uh, so, so the problems started compounding. I got sent back to Fort Bragg and they looked at my medical shit and they're like, who the fuck sent you here? Uh, that started the, that started the med board and they, you know, put me on a, a med board, even though I, you know, I wanted to stay in and they're like, we well, can't really do anything. Your lungs this and now, and, keeps collapsing you got a heart problem so that is what led to my departure from the military gotcha gotcha yeah you're a toad parachutist man that that must have sucked <laughs> you don't know when it's happening <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure you don't yeah it's just like boom 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 yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> but uh but um i i don't know about about you but for me um I, I've shared this 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 thought that had run through my mind when I was going through it. Not only was I terrified, you know, of, of exiting the military because that's kind of like the only lifestyle I knew, right? Uh, I didn't know what what skills I had or what I was good at. But also, I felt like uh, like I was being thrown to the side, cast aside, like a like a piece of trash. Did you feel that way? Yeah. So very much so because for one, it was I was sent home with really like no plan because they don't out process you when you do the, the med board. I was actually put on what was called TDIU and it's that you get five years if you get better 
you can come back in. If you don't, they'll keep you on retirement. So they basically just sent me home. And the only instruction I had was you need to see this DOD doctor and you need to see this civilian doctor. So um, both of them were writing me like copious amounts of the same prescriptions because this isn't when the, the, the they, they spoke. But to your point, I was just like, go home. They said, send, send me home, another direction, no support. And, you know, I described my life prior to the military, which was like hanging out with all the wrong people, getting over on people. I had no life skills going into the military and I didn't have any coming out other than, you know, I knew how to kick in doors. I knew how to call for fire. I knew how to jump out of an airplane, which apparently not, um, <laughs> it, you know, so, so yeah, it basically just kind of threw me out there and we're like, good luck. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, that was, that was, that was terrible. Um, that, that feeling of, of, Hey, you know, you're not needed anymore. Go on. Um, and, and, and so that really, that, that kind of sucked a little bit. And then on top of that, like, they don't teach you what happens when you fail. They don't, they set you, well, now, now they set you up for success. Like, this is what it looks like to get a job. This is what it looks like to, to interview for a job here. Let's help you with your resume. But they don't tell you, they, they don't coach you on what happens when shit happens and life gets bad for you when you get out. And so uh, that's one of the issues that I kind of took up with when I was getting out was like, there's no, like you said, there's no support when you get out. It's just like, hey, you're on your own now. Have fun. Yeah, from what I've been told, I think to your point, they, apparently they're doing stuff now. I know some people that have gotten out recently, but the, when I got out, there was nothing. I was just seeing, I didn't even tell you how to get your fucking GI bill but how to apply for VA benefit. I didn't even know there was a VA. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know because I was put out in, on retirement and given TRICARE. And then I, I didn't know there was a veteran's hospital. Like, that's how naive. I mean, they take for granted that people would know that, but I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't tell, they, well, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure, well, now they tell you that there's a VA, but I'm sure back in, in the day, I've heard stories from other guys, uh, that were told the same thing, just get out and didn't know there, there was a VA. And if they knew there was a VA, they didn't know they were entitled to benefits. Um, so how 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 uh, quickly after you got out did did uh, your active addiction actually start up? I mean, look, it's reality is it started up before I left from all of everything that they had me on. Yeah. But like I said, I, I returned home and you know I returned to the city I grew up in around the same type of people and now i was not only getting prescriptions from two separate doctors for i mean like i don't know how i'm still alive from the amount of meds they gave me and then i also was getting my i still was getting my my pay because i was put on tdiu so i mean i go home and i have some money now but i have no direction and a lot of pain meds um, I was waiting on you to say that that uh, that it started when you're in the service because or because of the meds that you're on. Uh, so, so one of the things that we also connected on was 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 vet court, and we're gonna get into the recovery portion of that. But how did you end up in vet court? So I ended up in vet court. Um, funny, not funny story. Uh, I was in. Philly and I, I was sitting in my car getting high, and the cop came over and said, "What are you doing?" <laughs> I mean, I couldn't really lie anymore, and uh, you know, I couldn't say anything, and so they locked me up, and you know, sat there, and then I got put in put in veterans court, uh, and that's how that started. Yeah, yeah, um, you know. Uh, I think we put ourselves in these positions and the positions that we need to be in in life to change our perspective and things. And whether it's a higher power, if, if that's what you choose to believe in, or if you, if you know, destiny is what you choose to believe in. I think we put ourselves in these positions that we're right in the right place at the right time 
for for what we need. Sometimes it's terrible. Sometimes the positions we put ourselves in are terrible. But I I, I feel like we do. Is do you have a, a belief on that? Yeah, I mean, look, I, look, I can tell you right now, I believe in a higher power because I didn't fucking bring my ass off of that airplane. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't get my ass to this point of being sober and having a good life, right? Like none of that is of my own doing. And you know, vet court for what it was, I, it, I always share with people right before I got in AA or NA, I had, a, I had a decent period of time. Sober, the unfortunate, I'll call it sober. It wouldn't be by some definitions, but what had happened, let me back up before vet court. Mm -hmm. So after I got out and once I finally figured out that there was a VA because I lost my TRICARE, you know, I I told them I had a problem and their solution was to put me on Suboxone, which everyone's got an opinion about it my opinion is it saved my life because when i was on suboxone i i spent four and a half years uh going back to school i got my bachelor's uh you know got into law school and if i never had that period of time i wouldn't i wouldn't it wouldn't be sober like i wouldn't know there was something else in life so you know while it was good it was good the thing i think the va failed me on was they just gave me suboxone there was no therapy there was no hey maybe you should go to aa hey maybe you know you i got myself into this problem by thinking there was a single solution to my problem which is pain meds will solve everything i can't get out of my problem with the same solution of like let me just take suboxone it'll fucking cure my addiction like I already told you the drugs and alcohol have nothing to do with it. I was an asshole before I started getting high, right? Like I, yeah. I, I already explained my behavior. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, and, and you hit something on the head that that uh, I think is like up for like debate in the country right now, or at least in the recovery community, is is MAT. And I'm, I had I had a bias toward it. Like when, when I first got out of recovery and it was, or first got out of vet court and it was, uh, I was extremely, extremely prejudiced against it because when I was in jail, I seen people using it to get high and and not, not as the purpose as like, I'm taking it because I need it, uh, to stay clean. Like they were using it to get high. And, and so when I got out of vet court and I was like, I was like, that's not recovery. And then one of my best friends, he was a medic of mine uh, back in 173rd, uh, him and I got in contact again. And he's like, I've been sober this amount of time and I've been taking Suboxone. And the reason why is because of this. And I didn't vocalize any of my any of my um, my opinions on it, but just seeing what it has done for him um, alone really opened my eyes to, OK, if it's used, you know, if it's used as prescribed and, and like. And, and you're taking the right amount of doses, like, then then it it is a form of recovery. MAT is a form of recovery, and so it's completely changed my 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 prospect. And I'm sure that there's going to be more that I learn about MAT, you know, as as time goes on. But that was my firsthand experience of like being able to actually look at it and say, okay, like this is a form of recovery. And now I have a bunch of friends that that you know use MAT as a form of recovery. Well, the key, the key there is what you said, take it as prescribed, right? Uh, I've had four major surgeries in recovery, which all require me to be on pain meds. Guess what? I found when I take one every four hours as prescribed, it works really well and not all of them in one hour, right? Like, yeah, it, it, you know, it's amazing if you follow instructions, a lot of times shit turns out well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You're right. Um, and that's you know that's one of the things with with medication that that I, I found is like uh, I, I wasn't necessarily addicted to it but I never took it as prescribed it was always like okay I mean I'm an extremist you know not an extremist in, in that sense of terms but I like to go to extremes so like if if I'm going if I'm gonna use it I'm gonna use it until I don't want it anymore or till I run out and then I'm not gonna fucking use it anymore now in recovery. I'm learning that, like, I do need to use it as prescribed, or I might end up right the fuck back where I was at in step one, you know, before step one. Um, so, so, 
your experience in vet court, what was that like? Well, for one, it was it was good. The only problem was I was in law school, and my law school had set up the vet court or helped uh, Judge Dugan, you mm -hmm. know, um, was working with him. So he was very gracious in knowing that we were in the same unit at Fort Bragg. Or we were both at Fort Bragg, and he knew my teachers were coming in and out of there. So he was nice enough to be like, look, just keep showing up at your other appointments, check in with me without coming in here and uh, complete everything and we'll move on. And, and I did, you know, I followed the path that was laid out for me. Um, I wish I could say I stayed sober after that. I didn't, I don't even know if I stayed sober during it. I do know that I didn't use enough to get in trouble or I can't remember, so I don't want to bullshit there, but uh, I do know that I followed the path and got out of vet court, got my charges erased and, and had a productive time while I had the court hanging over me. Gotcha. Yeah. I'd always heard this, this legend of a Judge Dugan, like getting into vet court, because when, when we, you know, when, when we go into vet court uh, up here in Alaska, our judge, his name is Judge Wallace, likes to give us the the lesson or the history lesson of vet court, you know, from the existence to where it is now. And I really enjoy it. But I'd always heard of this legend of Judge Dugan. And I was like, who is this guy? He sounds like a really good guy. You know, real hard ass, but a really good guy. And then I went down to Tennessee for NADCP, which is National Association of Drug Court Professionals. And I got to meet him. And holy shit, that man is amazing. Yeah. Just an amazing human He's being. He's what you need, right? He's just to the point, like, dude, pull your shit together or fucking send you to jail. Like, yeah. that's, that's what we need as veterans. But he's got the compassion to, you know, see that we're struggling with stuff and give you the opportunity to, to get on, make the corrective action and get on the right path. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think his, the way he handles things and the way my judge handles things as well is, is pretty awesome. Uh, when I got in into vet court, my judge, Judge Wallace, was like, hey, um, you know, you're here of your own free will. Nobody's forcing you to be here. And I'm like, you're right. And he was like, um, the only person that can fuck this up is you. <laughs> and I was like, well, I was like, okay, well, yeah, you're right. And he's like, no system is going to be held against you. You're not going, you know, nobody is trying to hold you back. The only person holding you back is you. And that was really when my eyes started opening up. Well, that's so the thing you, with all the courts, right? Everybody, oh, yeah. all the drug courts a trap. No, it's only a trap if you keep smoking crack. Like, it's, it's not a trap. It's a great way out of, of, of the consequences of your using, you know. Unfortunately, people like the, that victim card comes out really quick of you don't understand or, you know, this and that or they're out to get me. Listen, none of us are that fucking important. No. We're not, uh, uh, what's his name? El Chapo, that the whole federal government spending their time to see what I'm doing on my time off. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. We're not head hunting for you. <laughs> we're we're not we're not doing that, homie. So you know, but uh, but okay. So uh, you you mentioned that um that afterwards you you well even during the program, but afterwards you didn't stay sober. Um, what was you know what 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 kept you in uh in your active addiction during that time i think the biggest thing was i never acquired the skills to live right and if i go back to you know you were saying about the military uh with drinking right i when i look back now i realize i didn't know how to relate to people right like you know how the barracks life is everyone would be bullshitting but most of the time on Saturday night when everyone's going out to drink, like I was sitting in my room, I wanted to just eat a pizza and go to bed at, at 8.30 so I could get up and work out. Uh, everyone was kind of on the periphery. I had a few friends, but I just didn't know how to relate to people. And I carried that on from, from younger life, right? I didn't have any skills then. I brought it into the military. I will say the military gave me that first sense of stability uh, but the thing that kept me in my active addiction was I had, I didn't know what my purpose was. I didn't know how to live life. I didn't know how to have friends. I didn't know how to have connections with people. I didn't, I didn't know what was important. Right. And it's not the material shit that everybody thinks is important. So my focus was on all the wrong things. And, 
you know, like I want to be a college graduate, but I didn't want to go to college. Yeah. Yeah. You, you had goals, but no aspirations. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the answer to your question is I, I, I didn't know what, to, how to live life. I didn't know how to navigate it. And it was just easier. Now I will throw in since getting hurt in the military, uh, you know, I've probably had a total of 14 surgeries. So that also didn't help because I was also used to getting attention from being the hurt one, from being the sick one. Uh, and everyone had sympathy and I had to build an excuse all the time. I could go into school and nod out. They all knew I had pain medicines from, from the surgeries I had. So, uh, there was a lot of enabling, not intentionally, but the rest of the world not wanting to say, dude, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So what was the point in which you, you looked at yourself and you said, something's going to fucking change? So uh, the, the point where it started to look at it and say something's got to change is I was, in, I was in my master's of social work program and i had gotten i had been politely asked to leave school because they had a rule against heroin on campus that was <laughs> that was my argument and i believed it that's how delusional i was when they caught me with heroin uh, i said where does it say in the rule book we cannot have heroin on campus dead serious and uh, i was i was asked to leave move out and i stayed in graduate housing like I wasn't a graduate student anymore. <laughs> they had mm -hmm. to like get me out of there. I had to move back home, which I, I wasn't at, and tell them I had failed again for another time. And uh, this time, the biggest, the, the two things that were different was I had private insurance because where I went to school, I was on Vogue Rehab, and they refused to accept the VA as insurance. They said it's not, it's not a good provider of care. So they wow. made the VA buy me insurance and I had a private policy and someone set me, I got set up with a rehab and I, I went to that rehab and I stayed there for 30 days. And at this point I had been, I was on 30 milligrams of Valium a day and something like 300 milligrams of morphine on top of everything else I was doing. and. I left that rehab and I got high the next day and I was just sitting there in a room and, you know, I was in rehab. So I had a ton of money for my, you know, service connection. I bought more, probably more drugs than I ever had. And I just wasn't getting high anymore. Like I, I, I felt like somebody ripped me off. I thought the person ripped me off. They didn't. I, they were drugs. They just, it wasn't working anymore. And, and it wasn't taking away the pain. It wasn't, nothing was getting better. Everything was getting worse. And I, I called that rehab and I said, listen, uh, I relapsed. I'm going to be back tomorrow. Uh, and they said, listen, we don't know if we'll have a bed. And I said, listen, I don't give a fuck. I'll be there at six 30 tomorrow morning. You figure it out. And they showed up at six 30 the next morning and there was a bed available. That's awesome. That's awesome. When you uh, when when you got into into rehab and 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 that that morning at six thirty, um, was your were your sights like I'm dead set. This is this is a change that I need to make, and there's no turning back. Or was there a wiggle room like eh, I'll work on this shit, and then we'll see what happens later on. Well, I will have to be honest here. It's just like everyone else. I had to get one more. So I showed up to rehab high as shit and I was put in my room. So I woke up the next morning, but I did wake up the next morning. And my, to answer your question, my mindset was like, you know what? I feel free right now. Uh, I feel free and I am just going to follow what these people tell me because so far everything I have done has been fucked. I'm going to approach this like I did the military and that's, I'm just going to shut up and listen and do as I'm told. Hmm. I like that. I like that. What were some of the, some of the classes that you went through uh, while you're in, in that rehab facility? So a lot of, you know, a lot of the classes were psychoeducational. Some of them, 
the unfortunate thing with me being a social worker is I knew most of the stuff they were teaching, but that also taught me to be humble and shut up and see, be taught by somebody else. Like, right, I didn't, let's stop acting like I know everything because I had read that in a book somewhere that I needed to know everything. And for me, it was like, let's turn that off. Let's see what we can learn. And, uh, you know, a lot of them were conversation, like how to approach conflict, how to navigate family, how to, you know, uh, deal with cravings, how to change your, your surroundings. And then obviously there, there was the AA, uh, the 12 step groups. So I was at that treatment facility just real quick to give you the length of time. I was there for 30 days and they said, you should go to this other program. And I was like, you know what? My insurance has unlimited rehab days on it. So I went to the next place and I stayed there for 97 days or so. I had like a hundred and a little like 110 days total in treatment by the time I got out. That's awesome. That is awesome. Um, how hard was it for you um, to to abstain from drugs um, once you had you know gotten into the rehab facility? Were you back on on Suboxone or was it cold no. turkey? No, it was just completely everything done. Uh, I wasn't taking anything anymore. You know. And this is why I was, I guess I was saying earlier with Suboxone, like there's not one cure to something, right? They had me on 30 milligrams of Valium a day because of how bad my anxiety was that I couldn't drive. And what I learned from that was like, yeah, it was really bad, but you can learn and do things to help you cope that you don't need to take those medications consistently and daily, right? Like if I take Valium for anxiety and I do nothing, to address the anxiety. When I stop taking Valium, the anxiety is still going to be there. So it wasn't, it wasn't hard. What was hard was how am I going to deal with uh, the anxiety? How am I going to deal with sitting by myself? And this is where I really learned a lot in rehab was like, you know, those are the things I need to do. And, and to answer that question for me, it was, I'm going to meditate every day. I will share at every meeting uh, I go to, and I will do exercise. That's how I, I chose to deal with my anxiety. I don't want anyone to get the impression, like, don't take meds. Sometimes we need them. They're definitely appropriate. This was just my experience, my story. And for me, I needed to just figure it the fuck out because I was always looking for the shortcut. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you hit something on the head that uh, that that I myself had found. Um so when I was when I was seeking out, you know, counseling in the army, uh, they like to treat the they like to treat the symptoms, not treat the problem. And so they were prescribing me, you know, uh, antidepressants and all this other shit. And so I had the effects of those, right? So like uh, I took Lexapro and that shit made me numb. You could literally walked up and been like, "Hey, I just killed your whole family," and be like, "What what weapon did you use?" And I wouldn't have given a damn. Uh, and then I started taking like Wellbutrin, and Wellbutrin was like, maybe perpetually happy all the time. Like I was like, oh fuck, everything is fine, everything is great, it's gravy. Uh, and then when I got into recovery, I had the option to to get on meds, and, and I said, I don't want to because I'm treating the symptoms, I'm not treating the problem. And 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 for me, the pro my problem was was emotionally based. Uh, I, I didn't know how to regulate my, my feelings. I didn't know how, not regulate them, I mean, because I can't, but I, I didn't know how to decipher them, and I didn't know how to, uh, how to appropriately handle them once they came to the forefront. So if I was getting angry back before I learned, you know, my coping skills and coping mechanisms and, and everything that I've learned along the way, if I would get angry, I'd, I'd fucking hit a wall until my knuckles either bled or until I, I stopped feeling angry. You know, if I was upset, I'd lock myself in a room and I'd turn off all the lights and live that depressed lifestyle for a while. But now being able to to work around that and see that, like I, I told my wife, she was like, you know, you know, um, back when I first started uh, recovery, she was like, oh, you could get on on meds. And I was like, I want to be able to feel these feelings and know how to handle them, because um, I don't know what it feels like to be angry and work through it. I don't know what it what it feels like to be depressed and, and work on on 
on changing the the prospect of my day and i think that's very important like you said i don't think that uh medication is bad some people need it uh but for me i know that that it it didn't help me and if it helped me it only gave me a temporary fix yeah, no, and it really didn't solve the problem. But again, look, some people need it. There's there's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't make you any weaker or anything. It's just for me, I needed that. And I agree with you that feel the feelings. And the thing that I've learned is most of the time, the feelings go the fuck away. Yeah, yeah. after a while, I, they go away. A, a lot of times, it's like I'm avoiding a situation. And I, I have found in, in recovery, you know, when I, when I just jump right in and solve the problem, it's uncomfortable for about 30 seconds. If I don't and I try to ignore it and push the problem off, it hurts for however long I do that. So if for two weeks I don't want to address my wife about an issue we're having, I'm the one who suffers. Uh, she probably does because I'm outwardly ask, acting like an asshole and I'm uncomfortable, feeling miserable. And then I have the conversation with her and like I'm like, oh, wow, I feel better. Yeah. When like when it came up, if I would just take the 30 seconds to be uncomfortable and get it fucking over with, I can move on with my life. One of the most uncomfortable like things that I've been told is you run to anger for every negative emotion. And that was by a counselor. And I was like, no, I don't. I got pissed when she said that. Right. You I got fucking her pissed. Her point, huh? Yeah, I helped her prove her point. And she's like, see. And and I was like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. She's like, what happens when you get when you get upset? I was like, I get angry. She was like, what what happens when you're afraid? You get I get angry. And she's like, yes. And now you got to find out why. And I got pissed off because I had to find out why I was angry. But the real the reality is is I focus so much of my pain and so much of the negative shit into anger and like focused it and then I was able to root it back and and why I was angry and and it's been awesome I I really enjoyed it. Um, okay, I didn't enjoy it. Sucked. I'm gonna be honest. It fucking sucked. But looking back now, I'm grateful that I had those experiences and I was I'm able to actually you know uh, say those things and like be able to talk about them now. And, um, and so, so after you, you started working your program and, and stuff like that, and you're able to reflect back, what has been the most beneficial part of your, your recovery? Do you mean, what is the best benefit I got from it or what is, yeah. uh, I mean, I, I would say the most beneficial thing I've gotten from it is an ability to have relationships, uh, appreciate relationships and understand that my value doesn't lie in what I can bring physically or materially to a relationship, right? Like I have friends that call and say, I want to go out to dinner with you. And like, I know they're not saying I want to go out to dinner with you, but bring a lot of Coke, right? Like, yeah. yeah. They just want to go have dinner with me. They just want to be my friend. And you know, from that, like, found somebody that really would marry me. I found, you know, the people in my job appreciate me being around. Like all, everything comes from that ability to, to interact with people and learn how to have relationships. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and building those, those meaningful relationships uh, is, how has it, how has it changed your life? Like, like, you know, do you not feel so alone anymore? I don't know if you ever felt alone, you know, but do you feel like, like a sense of purpose now with the relationships? Yeah. Well, look, you know, like I said before, I didn't know how to live. I grew up and uh, my mom, uh, my mom has mental illness. My dad was an alcoholic. He was there when I was younger and I had one real brother, three stepbrothers. So there's five of us all scattered around and yes i had friends but to answer your question i never like i had friends but i never felt connected with people like i do now i never felt like a sense of purpose or being valued or wanted in somebody else's life so that makes me not feel lonely right like i go home at night and be completely by myself and i don't feel lonely i feel like i'm valued and wanted uh, and appreciated whether there's people around or not, which is something that I always thought people had to be there for. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so, um, what are you doing now to maintain your program? 
So, you know, look, eight year, December 2nd will be eight years. And uh, to this day, I have a sponsor. I call my sponsor every day. Uh, every day around 7 o'clock, he tells me, call me before 9 or it's not fucking important enough and he won't answer the phone after 9 o'clock. But that's what I need, right? I need the, yeah. the simple directions. Uh, you know, so every morning I get up and do the 15 minutes of meditation. I work out for an hour to an hour and a half, sometimes longer. And then I usually do an AA meeting and by seven thirty or eight, eight o'clock, I'm done and ready to start my day. And then at the end of the night and the end of the night, I, you know, say my prayers, I write my 10th step for those of you who are familiar with AA, I write it, I email it to my sponsor, my sponsees email me uh, their 10th step and then Probably up until last year, I was still still hitting, I'd say, five to six meetings a week. You know, with the busyness of my new schedule, I'm probably, I'd say, around three to four. And that was, that's what works with me. I have friends that go to one a week. I don't know. I just appreciate being there. I appreciate the connections with people. And that's why I go. Yeah. Yeah. The pan- now, now the pandemic. Um did that have an impact on your program at all? Well, I would say not really. I actually moved at the time uh, right before COVID and I never stopped working. So I was still out with with people. I was still around. I would say the part that it did affect is our ability to get together and go out to eat. Like we would all still meet in a park and hang out or do a meeting outside here and there. But uh, yeah, the, some of the connectivity was definitely lost, but you know, you pick and choose. I could let the pandemic affect my program and I have a nice fucking excuse, but uh, the, the, the guys during World War II managed to go overseas and still keep their program going. So I really can't complain with being able to connect through Zoom. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. You know, I, I've seen I've seen a lot of a lot of things that people say where they say, "Oh, you know, uh, the pandemic uh, really was the height of my of my active addiction," or or it was it was the the lead to my relapse because you know I, I did, couldn't have that connectivity. But it also, in a weird way, it inspired a lot of people to get sober, to get clean, and. and as bad as the pandemic it was you know or or is however you you want to you want to look at it um it's led a lot of people into recovery and that that's to me amazing look i have people i go to meetings with that their first meeting was during the pandemic and they've been sober since so their entire first year of sobriety was spent through zoom so if one of those people can do it what's my excuse facts very much very much facts okay let's talk let's talk about banyan what is Banyan? So Banyan Treatment Centers, uh, that's where I'm working. But I, I guess let me give you some backstory of how, how I got there. So mm-hmm. uh, when when COVID happened or occurred, whatever we want to call it, I was at a different treatment facility. And they I was actually getting ready to leave for my group. Uh, I have a private practice. And I was getting ready to leave to do that. COVID happened. And they had a first responders program. That, really wasn't doing that well. The person resigned and they asked me to take it over. And I said, if I can turn it into a veterans program as well, I'll take it over. And I connected with the local VAs in my area and uh, built a program for veterans with a substance use disorder. And from May 20, 2019 to February, or sorry, 2020 to twenty to February 2021, I had roughly 200 veterans come through that program. So we were kept very busy, learned a lot how to tailor a program to our needs specifically and fill in the gaps for the VA and provide the things I know I wasn't getting when I was at the VA. Uh, In February of 2021, the Banyan Treatment Centers, they have 15 of them across across the country. They said, why don't you join us, teach us how to work with veterans, bring what you do to us. Uh, so I joined them, right? They have uh, 15, they had 15, there are 16 facilities now. So uh, Banyan is a full continuum of care. They 
they provide they provide uh, detox, residential, uh, partial, and outpatient. They also provide mental health care. I've had the privilege of opening the first veterans eating disorder program in Philadelphia. I had met with uh, leadership in D.C. and they said we have nowhere to send veterans with eating disorders and. That was my other area of expertise. And the owner of the company was like, listen, go open it and gave me the money and said, just make it happen. And we've been open. We just hit a year that we've been open. We, we get veterans from all around the country because none of the VAs provide those services. But um, we really try to look 16 facilities we don't have that many veterans we try to keep them all at certain specific facilities so that way we can have some uh, a program uh like i had and some of the things that we really try to do with with and for veterans is we create a veterans you know small group of veterans they'll all be on the same caseload they'll all have the same therapist uh we want to give them their own space to discuss the things that are unique to us the other things that we work with is we know, I, I understand the VA and there are resources. There's some really good resources. So we try to collaborate with the VAs to get any veteran to, to continue their care, right? We, you and I know 30 days ain't fucking shit in, in the treatment continuum. So we try to work with the VA providers, the ones that will collaborate and say, okay, they're with us for 30, 60, 90 days. What, what's available to them when they leave? Do you guys have a DOM? Do you have a grant per diem? Do they have HUD-VASH? Uh, if they need help with their benefits, I have some attorneys that are willing to help out. Uh, whatever it is, whatever need we can meet, uh, we will do. And we want to. We really want to serve the veteran population and fill those gaps. Like I said, I have been to the VA rehabs probably six or seven times and I don't even know if they talked about AA the one time I was there, a few times that I was there. They literally came in and put a video on most of the groups were videos and whatever. It's not knocking it. It is what it is. There are some, if you've seen one VA, you've seen one VA. There's some really good ones. I've met some really great providers in there. Um, I've met some really not great providers, but that's anywhere you go, just like with us. So we're just on a mission really to fill those gaps and be a provider uh, of services for veterans. Now, the one thing that's unique that we do offer for those of us who had trauma, and I always explain this when I'm doing trainings, people always go, oh, you're a veteran, you must have trauma. Well, they may, but most of the time it has nothing to do with the military. It has to do yeah. with, I know I joined the military to get the fuck away from the life that I had. And yeah. there's a lot of other people with me. So uh, what what I found when I first started my first program was I had hired uh, this gentleman, Charlie, who was a Vietnam veteran, who is a retired Philadelphia homicide detective, who in his third career uh, is a therapist. And he does this modality of therapy called ART or accelerated resolution therapy. <laughs> Most people are familiar with EMDR, you know, you have to relive the event and focuses on the cognition and how you feel and you have to have a breakthrough art focuses on the image the event brings up and how it makes you feel and you don't have to relive the event again and the, the veterans and, and the police would come in and they called charlie dr voodoo and they said i've been doing emdr for a year and a half i met with that guy for an hour and i can't believe how i feel so what we've done at Banyan, can't have Charlie at all 16 sites, is we've gotten multiple people, we've gotten people trained at every site on ART so we can offer to the veteran population. That is amazing. That is awesome. So I know the answer, um, but uh, for our listeners, why is it important for you to, to treat veterans? Uh, it's, it's important because I know when I asked for help, it was really hard to get, right? It's just really difficult. It got not knocking what it is, but uh, I do not think when someone calls and asks for help to be told in 28 days will get you in as an appropriate answer. I know that when I signed the dotted line and they said, please be at MEPS at this day and this time, I showed the fuck up. I raised my hand and I shipped out like I was supposed to. 
I don't think any of us who did the same thing should go in and ask for help and be told, yeah, well, uh, 27 days show up and we'll help you. No one's ever called me and said, I want to kill myself. And I said, okay, in 25 days, I'll help you. Yeah. <laughs> if I did, they're not here anymore. I would never do that. But, you know, so how many people are we losing? How many people are we hurting due to bureaucracy? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, I, I would agree completely with with your statement. Um, I also find that you know I, I I enjoy working with veterans more because I can connect better with veterans than I can with like a normal human being. Like I mean, obviously there's there's you you have to find a connection anywhere you go in life. You know, uh, I've had a connect uh, a connection issue with a vet where like I you know I couldn't I couldn't break through with this guy. I was trying, man. I was sitting there. I was like, what makes you tick? Couldn't break through. And then it took going to a picnic and talking about Jurassic World for him to open up. And it was weird. It was just Jurassic World. Like, <laughs> and and that, that really was like, boom. And it wasn't like for him to open up. It was for him to realize, like, I'm a normal dude. I'm a normal dude. Like, I've been a normal dude. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just a person that's been through the same shit that he's been through. Not same thing to yeah. a T, but you know, we've all been through this, through similar shit and we all care. Yeah, no, listen, and you're right. You know, it is that, I guess that the basis of it is that's is why I like working with them is there's that all natural bond right there. We both, we all have respect for each other. It also makes it easier to be like, dude, you're full of shit. Like, and they know that we're saying it from a place of genuine care and we're not offending anybody. And, you know, I think it's, uh, there's a multiple there's multiple reasons why yeah yeah and just so happened he was a jumpy boy too <laughs> he was at 82nd as well oh, yeah. he, was in, he was in the first brigade it's crazy we're all climbing up on the sixth floor balcony jumping off that's where <laughs> yeah. you end up facts facts that's that's awesome that's awesome so uh before we go um what advice or suggestion would you give to somebody that's in early recovery or in active addiction that wants to get into recovery services? What, what, what would you give them? I think the biggest thing I would suggest is just get started, right? Like you don't need to, you don't need to want to quit. You don't need to quit. You don't need to do any of that. You just need to get started. Right. And in, 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 and I say this like in 12 step, membership right you don't even need to quit like it, it tells you to join you just have to have a desire to quit it doesn't even mean you need to uh and i just suggest take that first step right just ask be open explore uh, no one's saying you need to quit today uh but get started on that path of the in, in a direction rather than just staying stuck uh, we're all going to stumble. We're all going to fall. We're not going to get it our first time. This is uh, just get started. That's the biggest thing I can suggest to people. Everybody makes it complicated. Where should I go? What should I do? Listen, go to fucking AA. If you don't like AA, go to NA. If you don't like NA, go to Refuge Recovery. If not, go to whatever. Just do something uh, other than what you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's, fun. it's crazy that you bring up re Refuge Recovery because we have a meeting up here yeah, every Monday. That's pretty program. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, another thing before we go, and, and this is more a lighthearted topic, but the Rocky, the Rocky statue, overrated okay. or underrated? Uh, it's, it's overrated now. It used to be something you want to see now every tourist from around the world and they moved it so it's did they yeah, they moved it to the to the steps that he runs up in the movie before uh -huh. it was actually down by the spectrum where the, the the matches were and then they moved it so now it's it's all too touristy <laughs> oh man oh man once underrated now overrated yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you know who i found underrated was alan iverson yeah a lot of people did yeah 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 and it's it's yeah he was very underrated but mike i want to i want to thank you for hanging out with me for this hour yeah no i appreciate having you you know you having me on i appreciate meeting for coffee and i you know hopefully 
we discussed before, some plans to work, do some work together, and I hope that we get to see that come come fruitful. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I'm excited. I'm excited to see what the future holds. Me as well. <laughs> All right, and everybody, thank you guys for hanging out with us for this hour. You guys have been awesome, and Mike, you've been awesome. You're you're a good dude, and you're a definite role model for for a lot of us to follow. So thank you. Thanks again for having me. All right, guys. Till next next time. Much love.